Great day to you from Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Louisiana. I'm Rich Loop here with our healthcare economist, Mike Berto, and we'll be bringing you our Straight Talk podcast to share the timely information you can trust on healthcare reform, rising costs, health policy, and quality. But first, Mike, since we're going to be spending time together on a regular basis, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure, I'd be happy to. Since my Louisiana roots are an important part of the Straight Talk approach, I was born in Louisiana. My family roots here run very deep. Looking into my grandparents' surnames, Tassan, Abadie, Berto, and Hidalgo, and our family history, I discovered that my relatives started arriving in Louisiana way back in 1710. And by 1775, all four families were here. I've had family members here continuously ever since, and I've lived my 55 years right here in the state. You know, those of us who are committed to Louisiana understand that we are different. My dad says the Mississippi River and the Atchafalaya River get into your family's bloodline, and you never feel comfortable if you get too far away from them. I kind of get that. My commitment to Louisiana affects everything I do and say in my work. So how does being Louisiana true show up on the job for you? Well, one of the cool things about working for the Louisiana Blue Cross Plan is that we get to do some special things other corporations just can't do. Being a not-for-profit plan with a board of directors that are all local people means our decisions don't involve anyone who's not in Louisiana. This is important. There are no nameless, faceless shareholders or bondholders scattered around the world telling us what to do. We're member-owned, and that means if you look in your wallet or purse and see a Blue Cross card, that you own the company and I work for you. And our daily quest here at Blue Cross is to bring you value when you need healthcare and have to pay for it. Ultimately, a major illness could be the most expensive thing you ever have to pay for in your life. It could dwarf buying a house. We wanna help you with that. It's all we think about every single day. Remember, as a not-for-profit company that can only do business in Louisiana, we get to have a really cool mission Our mission is to improve the health and lives of all Louisianians, and that's the greatest mission ever. Yeah, that's definitely a great mission. Uh, So that brings us kind of to why straight talk? You know, one of the things you realize pretty quickly if you work in healthcare or health insurance is that people who work in our business have their own language. Now, there are good reasons why we do, but that doesn't make it one drop easier for our customers to understand us. One of the things I noticed a long time ago, along with some of my other friends here at Blue Cross, is that even if every decision we make and everything we do is entirely rational and important, that doesn't matter very much if we can't explain that to folks in plain English. Thus, straight talk was born. We cut through the insurance ease and the medical ease and bring very complex things and very messy decisions out into the light and try to explain them talk about them, and discuss them with everyone with as much transparency as possible. So essentially, straight talk means just what the name says. Absolutely. Transparency is the key. As a customer and therefore an owner of the company, along with the one out of three people in Louisiana who have a Blue Cross membership card, we think you deserve all the transparency we can give you. Now, the good news and bad news, the good actors and the not-so-good actors I'm determined to lay it all out and help folks understand why an increasing amount of their money is being sucked into health care or health insurance. That's the purpose of the Straight Talk blog, which is online 
at straighttalkla.com and this podcast, which we're hoping to put out on a regular basis. So today, let's dive into our first topic. So what exactly is going on in the healthcare marketplace now that we have a new president with Congress lined up behind him? What are they going to do with healthcare reform? Well, Rich, I get asked all the time, you know, what's going to happen with Obamacare? For starters, I, I just don't call it that, and I don't want to start doing that now. It politicizes the Affordable Care Act, and that always seems like a bad idea to me. So if you hear me talk about the ACA or the Affordable Care Act, or sometimes just the act, please understand I'm always talking about the Affordable Care Act that was passed back in 2010, the health care reform law, which some people call Obamacare. Got it. So what's happening with the Affordable Care Act? You know, one thing you learn when you hang around the insurance business long enough is that instability and unpredictability make everything more expensive. This happens in car insurance, life insurance, homeowners insurance, you name it. It's not just a unique health insurance problem. Let me give you an example. Way back in the 1980s, I was training to work with a major life insurance company. Now, right about that time, the AIDS epidemic began to be understood, its scope, its intensity, and how deadly this disease really was. Now, when the life insurance companies started projecting out the cost of the AIDS epidemic, that uncertainty caused them to wonder if their companies could even exist. AIDS data at that time was scarce, and what everybody could see was pretty terrifying. Because of that, life insurance got a lot more expensive, and some big carriers disappeared from the marketplace. So in the insurance business, uncertainty leads to higher costs every single time. We definitely have a lot of uncertainty in healthcare uh, right now, in health insurance. What's that doing to the market? Unfortunately, uncertainty around the individual health insurance marketplaces that were created under the ACA, which I'm going to talk about in a bit, has already driven off lots of big insurance companies. You've probably heard this in the news over the past couple of years. Here in Louisiana, your blue plan, us, we've lost over $200 million in three years just trying to stay in the individual market. Big carriers have left. This year, coming up in 2018, around 50 counties in the United States, it looks like, will have zero insurance carriers to choose from. In Louisiana, we'll probably have two. We also know about a third of the counties in the U.S. will only have one carrier to pick from in their exchanges, and about two-thirds of the counties will have one, maybe two, to work with. Insurance companies nationwide have lost over $2 billion trying to support the individual market. If this market were successful and if it were stable, insurance companies would be fighting each other for the slots in healthcare.gov. But that's just not happening. Why not? Well, you know, the act created the, a new individual market, a national market, but it had a previously unheard of feature. It goes like this. Everybody gets in, regardless of how sick they are, what meds they're on, or what surgeries they've had, no questions asked, no matter what. Now, it also guaranteed that everyone of a certain age would pay exactly the same rate as everyone else who was that age, regardless of their health or their gender. Now, markets like this nationwide have never happened before. There's actually a pretty good reason for it. It can only work and be financially stable under very specific circumstances. An individual health insurance risk pool, a market that admits everyone in history, has always failed. So, Mike, what do you think is the key to building a stable individual risk pool? I work with some groups that have studied this a lot, and after a lot of failures, we can say pretty plainly, 
that if you want this individual market to stabilize and be around, we've got to do four very specific things. Now, first, we have to make sure that the risk pool, the people in the insurance pool, that population is just as diverse as the real population that it lives in. So in Louisiana today, our state residents have an average age of 34 years old. 51% of the residents of the state are female. To be long-lasting and stable, the individual pool should mirror these percentages. But the reality is our 2016 risk pool had an average age of 44 years old, much older than the average, and was only 43% male, much lower than the average. So this raises the question, what's driving the younger folks away? Well, rates went up on some of our plans by over 40% from 2016 to 17 in part of this imbalance. So it's really important to understand why this has happened. So it turns out that when we look at all of the adults in our plans on healthcare.gov, we can see that the oldest members are 64 years old. The ones older than that typically are on Medicare. And the youngest adults are 21 years old. Anybody younger than that gets what's called a child rate. Over the past few years, we've seen the 60 to 64-year-olds in the real world use about seven times as much care as a 21-year-old does. You would expect that number to be higher as we age. So in a balanced risk pool, the rates should look exactly the same way. That means for every dollar a 21-year-old pays, a 64-year-old should pay five or six or even seven dollars more in premiums because they are older and going to use a lot more health care. But that's not what's uh, happening right now, is it? No. Sadly, when the act was being created, this ratio of lowest age to highest was set at three to one, which has nothing to do with economic reality. And it was set after a fierce lobbying effort by groups that support older folks, people my age and older. Sadly, you know, 21-year-olds don't have a lobby. There's nobody in D.C. speaking for them. The net result of this political effort was 21-year-olds' premiums are 75% higher than they should be, and a 64-year-old would get about a 17% discount to support that result. So, for example, I'm 55. I have a 21-year-old son. The Census Bureau says that when I reach 55 to 59 years old, my income is the highest it's ever going to be in my life. But the current health insurance age rating system gives me a break on my rates and charges my 21-year-old son 75% too much for his coverage relative to how much health care his age group would use, while he's still way below his earning potential, and I'm at the peak of mine. So it sounds like a lot of the younger people are just kind of reacting to this by not buying coverage. Exactly. And, you know, the more they stay away, the older the risk pool gets, the more unstable and expensive health insurance becomes for everyone in the marketplace. That's a huge drag on fixing it. But wasn't the act set up so that the federal government would enforce rules on healthcare.gov and get the most people to have health care coverage? Well, that's another major problem. The agencies in the federal government that were responsible for enforcing these rules on healthcare.gov, frankly, they've done a lousy job. Consider this. Healthcare.gov is supposed to be open a couple of months every year and then closed the rest of the year. This is to encourage people to sign up during open enrollment. If you have a special event during the year that would cause a disruption in your insurance coverage, like getting married or having a baby or changing jobs or moving to a new state, you can qualify for something called special enrollment, and that's a period outside of open enrollment that would let you buy insurance. It's very much like what happens when you get health coverage through your job. 
your employer will only let you add or delete dependents outside of open enrollment under certain circumstances and then make you prove it, like showing a marriage license or maybe a birth certificate. But unlike a work health plan, healthcare.gov doesn't verify anything for special enrollment. No paperwork's required, no certificates. All you really have to do is check a box on a website and you can buy coverage any day of the year, all year round. So for the first three years, healthcare.gov was open. It was actually possible to wait until after you got sick to buy coverage. And people figured out how to do that very quickly. So you might ask me, well, Mike, how do you know that's true? How do you know what they're doing? Well, before healthcare reform kicked in, our average customer stayed with us four years. Now we find that only 40% of the people who buy insurance in a given year keep it even for 12 months. Imagine if you could buy your homeowner's insurance after your house was on fire. It wouldn't take long before that insurance price would be the same price as what it costs to build you a new house. Now, I've got some good news to report on this. The Trump administration and several other federal agencies have recently taken steps on the road to stabilization, effective this year. Some new rules are going to shorten open enrollment. That'll bring more people into the market on January 1st instead of encouraging them to wait until February or March to buy their coverage. It'll require documentation to justify using special enrollment, which means you won't be able to wait till after you get sick to buy coverage. And they're also going to let us actually apply premiums collected for a new policy to an unpaid balance left on a customer's prior year policy, which we can't do today. I'm really pleased to see some of these solutions that we at Blue Cross have been recommending to the government for years actually starting to take effect. So with these new rules going into effect this year, can we expect a more stable market going forward? Well, unfortunately, there's still one big threat, which might be the most urgent thing, destabilizing your insurance market and driving up the rates for 2018. And it involves a lawsuit you've probably never heard of. It goes like this. About 130,000 of your friends and neighbors here in Louisiana are getting help from the federal government to pay down their deductibles and their co-pays in their health insurance through a program called cost-sharing reductions. Now, these are folks with jobs who make very little money, but they have insurance with really high deductibles. Government-designed policies with deductibles up to $2,500. Now, the cost-sharing reductions bring those deductibles down so they can pay to use their insurance when they get sick, and the reductions are a key feature of the health care reform law. Well, what happened was, back in 2011, Congress decided they didn't want to fund this program, and so they zeroed out that line in the federal budget. Now, a federal agency, with the permission of the White House under the Obama administration, kept making the payments out of their discretionary funds really to keep these folks afloat so they could use their insurance. Nationwide, we're talking about 6 million people who needed help. Congress didn't like that very much, and they sued the White House to say if Congress said the number was zero, it had to stay zero, which meant cost-sharing reductions wouldn't be funded, and the people who depend on them for their health care would get nothing. Now, the courts agreed with Congress, and so now the cost-sharing reductions are threatened unless Congress changes its mind. Now, the current Trump administration has so far deferred to make an appeal in the case and they're still funding the reductions, even though there's a court order that says they probably shouldn't. So right now, we really don't know which way it's going to go. What happens if the cost-sharing reductions don't get funded? Well, the easiest way to understand it is this. This is a benefit that insurance companies have to provide. 
And if the Fed doesn't fund it, we still have to buy down those deductibles for folks. And the only way that can get paid for is by raising the rates on their plan another 15 to 20%. Now, for us here at Blue Cross, we need a decision on this very soon. We're required to set our 2018 rates in the federal system by this summer. And remember, we started this discussion with the premise, uncertainty leads to higher costs and an unstable market every single time. Well, this is a pretty good example of the type of issues we'll be tackling with this podcast going forward. I know there's a lot of legislation before Congress right now that could change the Affordable Care Act and how the health insurance market works. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you about that. Yeah, I'm going to closely follow and track all the proposed legislation and policy coming down from Washington. The Senate, for example, is considering their version of the American Health Care Act right now. We'll bring you updates on that as things happen. And of course, you can always subscribe to this update at www.straighttalkla.com. So, Mike, can you let our listeners know how uh, they can get in touch with you outside of the podcast? Oh, sure. I'm easy to find. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Berto. My last name is spelled B-E-R-T-A-U-T. Our written version of Straight Talk is updated every week or so. It's at www.straighttalkla.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn at Mike Berto. I uh, republish the Straight Talk pieces there on LinkedIn as well. Well, folks, that's as straight as we can make it for you today. We appreciate your time, and we will talk to you again soon right here at Straight Talk.